This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Hand off to Kelly. And Kelly doesn't get there. The Broncos with a fourth down stop. Broncos defense has been rolling. And when I say rolling, I mean really rolling, Sandy, because in the first five games of the season, they allowed, ugh, not a typo, 36.2 points per yeah. game. That's what they were coughing up. Since then, the last eight games, they've allowed 16 on the button. You, you fed me that, that stat after we were off yesterday. 20.2 point per game drop. They've gone from historically one of the worst defenses in the history of the NFL to a 16-point-per-game defense. If that were to be the – now, they can't have it be the way of the season because, you know, all the games count equally. But, I mean, 16 points a game is the kind of defense that leads the NFL. Well, I mean, uh, best in the NFL. Let's look at it now through uh, the uh, DVO metric, uh, DVOA metric developed by Football Outsiders. Uh, the Broncos offensively are at 15. On special teams, they're at four. Um, that Miami game hurts them, but they aren't last, and they aren't even second to last defensively anymore. And they were so far down uh, behind 31 other teams, so far behind that you would almost have to be a top-five defense which they're pretty close to having been over the last eight weeks, last couple of months since that Miami disaster uh, to be anything other than dead last still in the league. And you know, so, so numbers like that, metrics like that defensively, uh, this is one of those occasions where, where you throw them out. Uh, Washington's got the worst defense, and Arizona is number 31, and Denver has passed both, and we all know that Denver is playing better than Carolina is defensively. Carolina would be 29th. Uh, The Broncos, by uh, the end of the season, I'm sure, will be in the mid-20s defensively, particularly considering the opposition from here on out. Detroit can be explosive offensively, but uh, New England... The Chargers and the Raiders so much. are three of the five worst offensive teams as presently constituted in the NFL. The Broncos are now 24th in the league, allowing 23.8 a yeah. game overall. But uh, keep in that's, mind, I think, where they'll end up, roughly where they'll end up in yeah. metrics such as DVOA, which measures overall I think points efficiency. points per game, they'll go up a smidge, but they'll be, they'll be in that. 18 to 20 range, 18 to 22 range, probably. Be in a respectable area. But in this run, that's 16 points per game. The team leading the league in points per game against as the best team in the world, San Francisco 49ers. They're averaging 15.8. The Broncos in the last mm-hmm. eight weeks are allowing 16 points per game. I mean, that's the le- that would be second in the league. And it would be almost a point because the next best team is Baltimore at 16.8. I mean, they have been playing lights out defense. The question now quote-unquote complimentary football, is can the That's offense round into form, right? Now, well, can the offense start doing a little more heavy lifting? Uh, I don't think he's going to play a major role. Don't get ahead of things, but it is interesting that today uh, Greg Dulcich was back practicing. That's a nice sign. I uh, don't expect him to you know be out there playing big plays this weekend, 
but it's a good sign to see him coming back. Cortland Sutton has created an interesting run with his phenomenal season, and he's, uh, he's up for an interesting statistical milestone. In fact, two receivers are. I'm, I'm on Ross St. Brown for the Lions. With three catches would be only the third receiver in history to have 90 catches and 900 yards in his first three seasons. Yep. But Sutton's is almost more unique. Cortland Sutton has caught a touchdown in every single one of the Broncos' road games this season. That's interesting because this team started, as we know, one and five. But he's caught a touchdown in every one of the road games. If he catches one on Saturday, he will be in some rarefied air. Only four other players in the history of the NFL have caught touchdown passes in their team's first seven road games of the year, and the record is eight by Hall of Famer Randy Moss. The others are Lance Allworth, Hall of Famer, Devontae Adams will be, and then Dante Stallworth in his year with uh, Drew Brees and New Orleans and Sean Payton in 2002. So Sutton seems to be becoming a reliable target. The work with Jerry Judy is, let's just say, still in progress. Uh, Adam Troutman has become a viable receiving target, if not a special one. He's not Travis Kelsey, but he has become a viable receiving target. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him graded as the highest graded Denver Bronco, period, in their game against the Chargers with a 91 grade. And while the, the numbers aren't there, we've talked about it this week, Javante Williams has been running better to the eye test than what the statistics would indicate. I thought in Los Angeles on Sunday that he played as well as I've seen him all year. Um, didn't drop any passes, uh, but most importantly, carried the ball with great force and took two or three nothing plays and turned them into, in one case, a 20-yard play, but in the other instances, five to ten yards. He had a lot of nice chunks. Now, was he hit for a loss a few times? Yes. Was he stopped at the line of scrimmage a few times? Yes. Uh, He averaged under four yards per carry after all. But he had four or five runs that were different than most of the runs I've seen this year Mm -hmm. from him. I, yeah, he, he looks he's getting stronger, stronger late in the year. And some of that is good because the sort of running back by committee where you're mixing in Julian McLaughlin, who had five carries. Samaji Piran didn't have that many carries in this game, but touched the ball a lot. Those are touches that Javante Williams doesn't soak up. And I, I do want to give the coaching staff credit for that because after the serious injuries and, and the, the remarkable recovery as quickly as an effective as it's been for Javante Williams, Give credit to Sean Payton and his staff, not only for getting him healthy, but keeping him healthy and keeping the workload manageable as he continues to build strength, especially given the fact that this has not been a team that passes a lot until it reaches the red zone. So when you zoom out a little bit, I think Payton and his staff have done a very good job with the way they've handled Javante Williams, which I think speaks to how important he is for this team. And going forward, he's a major cog in what you've got to do going forward. And to do that, he can't get hurt again. You need to to make sure that he builds the strength over time. Still to this day, guys can come back from ACL tears. And remember, he had more than the ACL tear, or three of those four CL ligaments. But still, guys will tell you, not only in football, you can ask Jamal Murray with the Denver Nuggets, it doesn't feel quite right until the second year back. And so Javante Williams may be healthy and maybe getting stronger, but he doesn't probably feel like himself yet, and you can kind of see it on the field. They have done a good job of protecting him while still utilizing him 
in order to win games. So the next step, Sandy, and this would be the question that I kind of have for you. Russell Wilson, uh, 21 for 33 in the game against the Chargers, two touchdowns and a pick. The pick was not his fault. Whatever, he wears it. It's fine. Can he do more before they get to the red zone? Do they need him to do more to get to the red zone? And how do they pull it off? Well, uh, more play action, uh, getting him outside the pocket. But I thought the other day, inside the pocket, he looked as comfortable as I've seen him look. We're in a Broncos uniform, I agree. And as you pointed out yesterday, 10 players caught passes. Yeah. He, and he hasn't done that as a Bronco, I don't believe. I don't know if anyone's ever done that as a Bronco. Well, Ten guys I, catching I, passes I, in Peyton, a game? Peyton would spread it around pretty well during his time here. Uh, you have to play that many guys. <laughs> or have that even many active oh, I, or on the I, roster. They, that's what they used to do. I, I mean, I'll go back and, and double check, but I bet if you went back a decade to 2013, you'd find a bunch of games where nine or ten different receivers caught passes. And that was the way they played. And that was, I believe, the last year that they had not just one, but two players catching 10 or more touchdown passes. But And one was Julius Thomas and the other was Demarius. But not in two those receivers, years, I mean, Manning was the going tight end and the wide receiver. nuclear 5,000-yard seasons, you know, five fifty touchdown sure. seasons. Sure. At sure. Russell that Wilson's was 2013. Spreading it around and barely getting over 200 yards a game. Well, I, I'm, that's our uh, homework assignment, I guess, for tonight, is to go back into those 12, 13, 14 seasons, not so much 2015, uh, because the offense didn't function right. quite as well uh, during the championship season. The defense is great. Uh, but to look at the previous three years and take a look at how many different receivers factored in uh, game by game. And as I remember, and I may be proven wrong on this, 9 to 10 was routine. Now it's unheard of, uh, and it jumps out at you because I don't think they've had a single game, and again, I'll check on this, over the last two years in which more than maybe eight players have caught passes, and the other day they had 10. So when you look at the passing on... On only 21 completions. Mm-hmm. 10 different receivers on, 20, on 21 yeah. different completions. So this P. Ryan caught five, nobody else caught more than... Yep. Ryan got five... Yeah. Uh, Sutton got three. Nobody else got more than two. And that includes Jerry Judy. They tried to get it to him six times. And, you know, yeah. That's a different discussion. Well, we already had that earlier discussion. this week. But yeah. uh, is Wilson at 35 years old, do you believe that what the Broncos are getting out of him is about the maximum level of accomplishment? Yep. Or is there a next level? No. You think I, I don't think so. It, it, you should be thrilled with this. Um, he He's become... Um, Maybe at times reluctantly, but it certainly seems as if he's embraced a good part of it, even as the coach is not exactly reciprocated by embracing Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Uh, he seems to have accepted the idea that he's not the player he was, and it was something that Peyton Manning had to come to grips with in 2015, at least during the postseason, and he did mm-hmm. to his credit. But I think Russell Wilson has more or less accepted as much as he can accept anything that he can't play quarterback the way he used to. And this is the way, ironically, that I think Pete Carroll had envisioned Russell Wilson would play in the latter years of his career. And of course, Russell Wilson came here and talked about playing here for 10 years and that 
Yeah, but still that's, talks that's about Russell, playing that's well Russell in his Wilson. He's but that's that's who he is. Right. he is. That's who he is. Uh, but I, I think he understands that you know this is better for me. Is this the it's better is for this, my? And I'm not trying to throw dirt on the guy, but is this maybe the biggest failure? of Nathaniel Hackett's brief coaching career is he didn't recognize the decline and more or less told Russ, do what you want. Well, he was trying to save himself by appeasing Russell Wilson. And of course we know that didn't work that you're judged by more than your ability to appease a certain player, even though that appeasement strategy was generally accepted practice with the Denver Broncos in 2022. It wasn't just Hackett who gave him free reign to do anything he wanted to do. It was George Payton. It was ownership, quite frankly. Uh, It was basically everyone who had anything to do with Wilson setting up shop with an office on the second floor of the facility. And it's interesting to see this because Wilson, and and, you know, I think we've talked about it and given him credit in recent weeks where where we, I, I certainly think it's due. You're really never, and you talk to the, the really great players in any sport, you're never too old to get coaching. And I think Wilson bristled over time. He and Carol, the relationship just got stale. But even though this isn't probably what Russell Wilson envisioned as a Denver Bronco, it's very clear, given the fact that he hasn't commented, he hasn't complained, he's, he's been as still, you know, maybe even over positive. You've called what? Sultan of sugarcoating. Uh, and then that's maybe who he is. But Give him some credit. He's one of those guys that I think does like to be coached and responds to coaching. Yeah, I don't think he's uncoachable. What I think he's come to realize is that in the long run, even, this is good for me. Uh, It's not great for my stats. But you're going out winning games. But you're winning. If I'm going to regain my stature, stats alone won't do it. Wins alone, they're better than may stats. not do any everything, but they're better than just stats. You bet they are. And last year they didn't win, and his stats were terrible. This year, in certain areas, his stats are quite good, but in other areas they're they're mediocre. They're not. Oh my goodness! Hide the women and children. Right. Don't let them watch him play. It's painful. Yeah, not now. Not now. Now it's not painful. No. And now you get a sense when he drops back that not only will he be preserved for another play, but that he can make something out of what would last year have been nothing short of disaster. And that part's interesting because at the age of 35, here he is running at, at, that, at, a, at a pace. Disastrous. It's not a play, although it could be interpreted yeah, that. And an he efficiency. was disaster Russ last year. Right. This year, uh, he's, danger he's, Russ, yeah. probably not. But On the ground a little bit. He gets first downs. Yeah. He's, yeah, been, he's been efficient I, I'm, and effective. I'm just, no, nobody's quaking in their boots getting ready for no, Russell he's, he's Wilson. No, he's not going to gut but, you like Lamar Jackson. I but get that. He's he's allowing the Broncos to play complimentary football when – I think if you had said that to him last year, you're here to help the Broncos play complimentary football. No, he's, I'm here to be a star. Yeah, and now he's, at, I'm he's here being to carry asked the team. to be risk averse. Yeah, and he has adjusted to it. He has. Give him credit. Uh, save for 16 minutes against Houston at the end of the ball game. Right. He has been risk averse. 
Well, you have an opportunity to win a trip to the biggest football game of the year, courtesy of our friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game, and they'll also give you two tickets to the game and a three-night hotel stay. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, a champion was crowned, Sandy. In the NBA, a champion was crowned. The Los Angeles Lakers uh, win another title. How much does it matter to them? Probably more than it should. And uh, if we've heard Sandy talk about it, uh, he has a kindred spirit over at ESPN. Chris Madhog Russo, uh, we will let the two men compare and contrast next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. We didn't talk much about the NBA in-season tournament after the Denver Nuggets were eliminated because we didn't care. We didn't talk much about the NBA in-season tournament while the Denver Nuggets uh, were no. in it because we didn't care all that much either. I, I because, honestly, until you reminded me, I yeah. wasn't aware of the game that officially eliminated the Nuggets from the in-season tournament, right. which came in a loss at Houston. At Houston, right. and uh, Not the most recent loss to Houston, but, of course, the game they lost at Houston. The, the, the second Nuggets, of the two games yes, they lost. have their mind uh, focused on more important accomplishments. And, of and that's, which there are many. Yes, and, and keeping focused on that is part of what we do here on a Wellness Wednesday. And coming up in just a little bit, you'll get to hear our, our, our friend Anila Piro yes. uh, sit in with uh, the man you have something to share about, our friend Dr. Rick Priya. Absolutely, and of course, uh, I've known Dr. Priya for almost a decade now. He's the best in the business as a performance psychologist. And you'll hear, um, I think, uh, coming up, a lot of what Rick Perea does uh, beyond his affiliation with sports. You get your checkup from the neck up every Wednesday at 530 here on Mile High Sports. It's Wellness Wednesday, of course, uh, from the former performance psychologist for the world champion Broncos back in 2015. Shortly thereafter, the Rockies, during a period in which the Rockies actually had some success, at least qualifying for the playoffs. World champion Denver Nuggets, of course, uh, a team with whom Rick has worked in the past as well. He helps, in addition, middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. So even if you're just a performer at work, at play, or at school, you call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look him up at Dr. P at thinkoneforyou.org. That's thinkone4u.org. Well, the Lakers won the in-season tournament, and that is, by the way, the NBA's official name for it, the in-season tournament. Um, so it's called the NBA Cup or something? The or NBA Cup. That's yeah. what you win. NBA. And uh, they did that by toppling uh, the Indiana cup. Pacers on Saturday in Las Vegas. Uh, they earned themselves a break. They will defend their in-season tournament title tonight against the Spurs. No, they won't because it's not. you don't really defend it. It's, it's just another no, regular just another regular another season game. game. Uh, you wouldn't know it if you were the Lakers, though, who apparently, you know, quite enjoyed themselves after winning their their championship. And uh, they have plans. Over at ESPN, uh, Chris Bad Dog Russo, who 
I'm amazed it's still working because if I remember correctly, he was supposed to retire if the Arizona Diamondbacks won the World Series. Oh, is that what he said on the MLB? Wasn't that, wasn't that it, right? Or on ESPN? Yeah. He if, if he'd the, retire if Arizona he'd won. He'd retire if Arizona won. Won, but, won uh, against Philadelphia. Yeah. 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 Not They lost right, the World right. Series. Pardon me. Yes, won against Philadelphia. Against yeah, Philadelphia. that they won against Philadelphia and represented the NL that he would yeah. retire. It reminded me of Alex Karras yeah. saying, I'll, I'll push... Uh, a peanut with my nose back to Detroit. He probably didn't do that. If we lose to the Broncos in a preseason yeah. game, which of course he they did. proceeded to do. Well, uh, Mad Dog did not retire, and uh, even though I guess you know it's not great to you know, live up to your promise there, but I'm glad he didn't because uh, Sandy, uh, I would imagine the two of you get along quite well about the way the in-season tournament uh, result is handled. Judging by this uh, clip, it's a couple minutes long, but it's worth it for ESPN this morning. Can you imagine what Elgin Baylor is doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> how about how about Jerry West? Oh, the gosh, logo. The logo. Kareem. How about Gail Goodrich? Look oh, him up. Look him up. Happy Hurston. Happy Hurston. Jimmy McMillan. Happy. All right. Paul Gasol. God rest his soul. Kobe. We are going to drink champagne after we win a regular season tournament. First in inaugural, oh. in the you locker room, fun. and then you to top fun. it off, they got 18, 19 banners. How many championships? 17. 17. And they're drinking champagne, and then they're going to raise a banner to the rafters in Aww. L.A. for winning Aww. this inaugural tournament? Banners are for championships and retired numbers. <laughs> they're not for a four-game series in the middle of November. And I'm not knocking the inaugural tournament. The Silver did a great job of it. I'm not knocking it. But you got to have a little perspective here. That's the the, the Lakers of the lands of West and Banner and Wilt and Kareem and Jamal Wilts. And how about Pat Riley? Think Riley liked to see that when he was in Miami watching them freaking put the banner up? Pat must have thrown up when he saw that. <laughs> Magic Johnson, you think magic like that? <laughs> How about Worthy? <laughs> that is a disgrace. Dog is all one. Look at this. <laughs> He's all one. Batters, and you tarnish that with the banner from the inaugural Challenge Cup? God help me, please. <laughs> Not Number the three. Lord, not the Lord. And you Lord. know I'm right. I think you're overreacting. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's a company man. No, 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 no. Oh. I'm not. Ooh. We know, no, we know. Here's the, deal. Here's the point, though. It's the first. Yeah. It's just, a, that's all it is. It's, in other words, the inaugural tournament that's going to be around here for decades, probably. The first to do it was them. That's all. That's all it says. Donnie, the, the, you feel the like first. it's a participation trophy? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Neat. Uh, one. They, they did get an extra orange slice. I heard. Yeah. Bonus points for the uh, the team calling out Stephen A. Smith as a company man at the end of that. Uh, but uh, my question, Sandy, is: Are are you and uh, Mad Dog related? Because uh, there's some similarities not, there. Not the last time. Uh, <laughs> You haven't done the uh, little DNA up, thing, uh, or, you no, know, swabbed no, under we, your tongue. I, I, okay. I, I do like Chris. Uh, we've <laughs> we've uh, been together at uh, boxing matches over the years, uh, uh, heavyweight uh, title fights, and we've been together at Super Bowls uh, over the years. And I do enjoy him. Uh, uh, we kind of like the same sort of stuff, and 
sometimes dislike the you same. You probably knew who that happy stuff. guy that he referred to was because I didn't know who that was. Happy Hearst. Yeah, Goodrich, of course, but I didn't know the other yeah, one. Yeah, Goodrich. But yeah, yeah I mean, I know yeah. Goodrich, but. But I thought he'd forget about Magic there for a while. He finally mentioned Magic at the end. Yeah, I mean, people are still alive. I mean, Elgin Baylor spinning in his grave, yes. Wilt spinning in his grave, yes. That they're putting some banner for that. up. Now, can you? He was the right Lakers? on Baylor because you can. Baylor retired early in the seventy-one, seventy-two season. They then went on a 33-game winning streak and proceeded to win the NBA title, a title Baylor never won with the Lakers, although he and West came close together so many times. There was always Bill Russell standing in the way of the Lakers in all those finals they went to. Can you imagine how Elgin Baylor feels when he isn't a part of any of those championship banners and they're sticking up one for the NBA Cup? I, I, I guess if you were like the Timberwolves and you've never won squat, maybe you could put one up, I guess, or something. But for the Lakers, that's an embarrassment. Hey, some organizations put up conference titles, and the Lakers won a bunch of Western conference titles <laughs> Where would you 60s. stick them? You wouldn't even have room. Put this up. But they'll put, they ball. won't put conference banners up. <laughs> this thing. But they put the NBA Cup banner up Oh, there. my goodness. Oh, and they were the first. That's you know what? Unless they had brought it up this morning, it, when was it played? Saturday yeah. night? Saturday. Most people by yesterday had forgotten about it. Yeah. Not the Lakers, apparently. Well, well, the Lakers, so inspired by their win at the NBA Cup, lost to the Mavericks the other night. They sure in did. their first game back. They sure did. Well, it's only, you know, it's the only cup they're going to get this year, so you might as well celebrate it. We'll be back in a bit, but of course, we do want to step aside. It is Wellness Wednesday, and uh, Anilo Piro is going to right. sit down with Dr. Rick Perea, so get your checkup from the neck up with the Dr. Rick. We will be back, of course, tomorrow to talk more about this Broncos-Lions game. We'll be joined by Aaron Anderson of Fox 31, who will also uh, bring a little attention to Mines football going for a championship, because that's what we do here. We cover every team every day. Thanks to all of you listening, whether it's FM, HD, MyLifeSports.com, or the MyLifeSports app. Danny Bailey's in the booth. He makes everything work. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll catch you tomorrow. Stay right here for your checkup from the neck up on MyLifeSports. Haven't changed, had much to say. But man, I still think them cats are crazy. They were asking if you were around. Welcome on in to another installment of Wellness Wednesday with our good friend, Dr. P from Think One, kind enough as always to give us a few minutes of his time as we talk about uh, the nature of being a professional athlete, solution-based action and therapies for not just athletes, but people all around the world. Obviously, you know, I'm filling in for the great Sandy Clough, so big shoes to fill, but you have a plethora of knowledge, a plethora of information um, from your time in your business and how to kind of develop some of these solution-based therapies for people. So, Dr. P, how's it going? And it's I- going great. It's going great. Great to be here. I wish it was a little warmer outside. I was just about to say. You know, I used to live in Fort Lauderdale, and that changed me. And so now that I'm in Colorado, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's cold. But other than that, I'm great. Wellness Wednesday, and you've been doing the show with Sandy for a little while now, and yep. I've come to get to know you probably over the last six months or so. Sure. And even just some through some of the side conversations that you and I have had, obviously, uh, just a tremendous amount of knowledge. And really, you know, not to get too off the rails with it, I'm thinking back to, you know, there's a, a whole different level of thinking that I think you introduce to a lot of people, right? Because everybody's very focused on, you know, the commercials they see on TV or listening to their traditional doctor. You really bring a new perspective to healing and therapy and emotional thinking as well. And I think, you know, it's something that's becoming more and more prominent throughout yeah. the day. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's the goal. <clears throat> I want people to understand 
I divide the body up, neck up, neck down. And obviously so many athletes train neck down. And I would say estimated 98, 90% of the time they train this neck down. Right. When in reality, neck up is so important, especially the higher levels you go. <clears throat> and when you train neck up and you understand how the brain works with the autonomic nervous system and how that deploys stress and anxiety, then and only then do you have really a true opportunity to reach your potential. So that's my goal is to educate and inform people so that they can reach their potential. Because me as, a, as, a, as an athlete, I handicap myself. And that's why this is personal for me is because 1983, I was a free agent, undrafted linebacker with the Broncos. And while I was out on the field, was, everything was great. But my challenges were off the field. When we'd go back up to our rooms in training camp and I'd sit there and go, wow, this is the NFL. Like, there's Randy Gratishar. I've been, I, I used to watch him, and now we're standing right next to each other in drills. And so I had to talk to myself and convince myself that I, that I wasn't an imposter and that I actually deserved to be there and that the contract that they gave me was my contract. So through that, that really was a breeding ground for me to go back to school and get my PhD and learn how to regulate anxiety so I could go back and help people in the NFL. And that's exactly what I do. Yeah. And it's been great to see that obviously mental health has been a big talking point, you know, in recent times, just yes. around the world, especially in the country. So it's nice to see some awareness, but you, you bring up, you know, kind of how things were. It, yeah. it made me think of like my father used to always tell me, right. Because me and my family talk about mental health and this and that all the time. Like when he was growing up, when he was my age, he would tell me like, we didn't even know what anxiety was <laughs> like, like what depression, anxiety, exactly. like, what, what are these terms? Yeah. So the introduction of, Mental health education in, yeah. in the mainstream society, I think, is important and whatnot. Um, but why do you think people have started to lean into that? Right. Because I, I, I yeah. think back to like the, the Sopranos episode of like the strong, the strong, silent type. What happened right. to Gary Cooper? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like that used to be the norm of like yeah. men just brush everything off. Like, why do you think this introduction and this education to mental health has been so proficient as of late? Well, you know, I think there's been a couple of moments in, in pro sports in the Olympics that we've seen athletes literally come forward and say, I'm not doing so well. You know, I think COVID gave us that two-year break where we had a chance to kind of look within ourselves. But then you saw Simone Biles, like, come up right. in front of everybody and say, you know, I'm not doing so well emotionally and psychologically, um, talking about her being scared. And so I think there's been a few moments that athletes have stood up now and said, it's, you know, I'm not doing so well. And I think it took that. But I also think the other thing, too, is we've seen such a spike in suicide rates in adolescents across the nation. And a lot of them are athletes. And that's personal to me too, because I have three sons that are, are one in college and two in high school that are playing sports right now. So it's very personal to me, but I think that a lot of athletes, DeMarcus Ware is one of them that's near and dear to my heart that he's come up and said that, you know, he wasn't doing so well when he walked into my office. And then that led to Von Miller and that led to other athletes being willing to be vulnerable and admit that, you know, there is a mental side to this. So I think it's, it's spreading, you know, it's spreading to lay people that, you know, it's okay to not be okay. You know, the thing that's different, you know, physical, like, you know, Julius Thomas said it best in my book. He said, if you hurt your knee or your elbow, you can walk into the training room and say, Hey, can you take a look at my knee? And there's no problem in that. Yeah, sure. Jump up on the table. But if you walk in after practice and you go up to a coach or a mental health expert and you say, you know, I'm not doing so well, they don't always look at you the same way. Right. But that's beginning to change. It really is. And I think coaches like Mike McDaniels is really opening up what we do and helping us understand that, you know what, even coaches struggle with anxiety. Even coaches struggle with addiction mm -hmm. or a, a dependency. So 
it's opening up and it's at a really good time because I know for me, it's, um, it's something I love to address because it was personal with me, like I just mentioned. And the, everyone that I can help really is, is really just an asset so they can reach their true potential. Yeah, and, and it's interesting you bring that up, right? Because, and you correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I don't think success always translates to happiness, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people think that, yeah, oh, I won point. the Super Bowl. I won this. I yeah. did that. That means I'm going to be happy, <laughs> right? right? And, and there's so many layers that I believe, I mean, you know a lot more than I do, but it, it, it's not just about what happens out here. A lot of it's what happens up here yeah. within the body and whatnot. Sure. And, and how do you think that kind of impacts the psyche, You obviously through athletes, but just in people in general, because we look at a job promotion or a new car or or a new right. house or, or you know these 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 arbitrary milestones as a means for happiness what do you what do you kind of say about that dynamic yeah so here's one thing that i educate a lot of adolescents about especially but even executives when they come in and get coaching from me i think a lot of people don't realize i coach a lot of executives i started working with two executives at new york life and now it's up to 23 so it even those guys got to understand that it's not necessarily money or success that really makes us happy it's internal happiness. And so there's three levels of occupation. There's job, career, and calling. Less than 2% of all people are in their calling. Think about that. Now, why is that? Why are less than 2% of people in their calling if it's such a beautiful place to be? And the number one answer I, that we get when we do research is they can't make enough money in their calling to be in it. For example, someone might say, well, I love uh, teaching how to rock climb. Can't make enough money doing that. Right. I love to teach skiing. I can't make enough money. But what I tell people is if you love what you do, not like, but I mean love what you do, then it things will open up. Let me give you an example. When I was in graduate school studying psychology, getting my PhD, not once, not once did I ever stop and say, man, I'm going to make a lot of money here. Right. I, I never thought of that. But what when you love something, I come out, I'm a college professor. Then I love what I do. I'm doing it well. The Colorado Rockies asked me to speak to the team. Boom. They asked me to be their, their psychologist. Um, then the Broncos, then the Nuggets, and it just takes off from there. And then before you know it, I'm writing a book. And then now I'm, I'm a contributor producer on a sitcom about a sports psychologist. So my point is when you love what you do, things open up mm -hmm. and money comes to you. You know, don't worry about making money. That'll all come. It really will when you're great at what you do. So job call job career and calling if we're willing to take a chance and we're willing to leave our comfort zone and go to our calling then we have a chance to really perform to to be happy and not just be extrinsically driven because that's what demarcus ware was saying when he came into my office he goes i got every car i need i got everything you put in a box i got everything you need materially but i don't even know who i am as a man right and that was very vulnerable for him to say that and i think a lot of us can learn from that and i think a lot of people are afraid to show their vulnerability into the you use the, the term of it's okay to be okay right and i think they're it's starting to become more normalized but i think people branching out of their shell you know that that's that's the way to solve some of these problems and it's an interesting i love that uh you know what you were talking about with uh the job and the calling and whatnot it takes me back to my, my senior year high school quote because it's a quote from ice cube of don't worry about being a star yeah. worry about doing good work and the rest of that bleep will come to you yeah and yeah i, I think I like to that. your point everybody gets so focused in on the social constructs yeah. of money and cars and glitz and glamour and this and that how do you kind of 
navigate that with people, specifically young people as well. I know you do a lot of stuff with executives, but it feels like social media has really amplified maybe some of these emotions, good or bad, right. that come with the with, with the journey that is life in general. Well, there's one one technique you guys have heard, but we take it to a higher level of science. It's called trust the process. Okay. So the process means you focus on what things you can control. When you know, when your brain knows you can control something, guess what happens with anxiety? It goes down. When, you, when anxiety goes down, then you're on the parasympathetic side of the autonomic, which is the calm side. So when you are able to focus on process, let me just, I'll just use an offensive lineman in the NFL. He focuses on his footwork and technique. He focuses on his hips, popping his hips, hand placement. Instead of a coach saying, hey, man, you got to block number 70. You say, no, focus on the process. Your process is your footwork and your technique. I'm not going to focus on blocking 70. If I take care of my footwork and technique, guess what? I block 70. Right. So we got to understand that. I remember when Adam Gase was the head, was the offensive coordinator here in Denver, and they lost to the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl. And he came to me after the Super Bowl and he said, What could I have done differently after we were done behind nine to nothing? And it was like early in the first quarter. He said, My offensive linemen were staring at the Jumbotron. We were just looked like deer in the headlights. I said, what you could have done is sit him down, offensive line coach, sit him down and say, process, process, process. Forget the scoreboard. Forget what everything else around. Footwork technique. Footwork technique. It's like playing golf. When you play golf, you don't sit there and look at the hole the whole time and then right at the last second glance down and hit the ball. You focus on your stance, your waggle, your weight transfer, all of the things that are processed to hit it close to the hole. So when we learn to focus on process instead of outcome, then we have almost complete control of our anxiety. We're in the parasympathetic and we have our best chance for success. And everybody's process is different. I sure, would imagine, right? Sure. Because I, I feel like so often it's like you see these influencers, these mental health people. It's like, do this and you'll get this. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. But but how is everybody's process different? And how do you kind of analyze what direction you may want to take somebody in if you're working with them? Yeah. So when I folk when I use the word process, it's not necessarily how they process. It's to focus on the process of whatever you're doing. So a golfer, it's again your your stance, alignment, weight, weight transfer, your waggle, all of that stuff that you have in your approach. If it's an offensive lineman, it's footwork and technique. If I'm an executive, it's communication skills, it's connection skills and the way I communicate with people. So everyone has their process. But you're right. Everybody does process. Some people are auditory. Some people are visual. Some people are kinesthetic. Some people are tactile, haptic. They have to touch things to learn. And that's another thing that we're working on in the NFL is helping coaches understand how they can be more effective in reaching players. You know, it's so interesting that coaches think when they're hired that they're a finished product. You know, executives take get coaching all the time in the professional world. They get coaching by coaches, by experts in certain fields. But coaches in the NFL, they think, well, I know football. Of course you know football, but do you know how to connect with players? Do you know how to really motivate players? A lot of them don't. I'm telling you, I've been in the NFL with seven different NFL teams and there's some coaches that can't coach their way out of a wet paper sack. And there's coaches in high school that are great coaches. Some. There's not a lot of them, right, okay, right. but there are some. But I'm telling you, that's the future is developing coaches. And that's part of what I do is I help position coaches get promoted to coordinators, coordinators to head coaches. Um, I, I've had numerous discussions with Sandy over the years of how I've, you know, take 
when 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 McDermott was hired in Buffalo. Right. We sat on the phone at two in the morning talking for two hours about what he was going to do next, his first step. So it's a really fun place to be to help people focus on process to help develop their overall skill set. It is Wellness Wednesday. We're chatting with Dr. P from Think One. Always a great conversation. And Elo Piro filling in for Sandy Clough. What do you make of right? Because we're talking process. We're, we're, we're talking those steps. I, you know, one, one term that's thrown out there a lot is experience is the best teacher. Mm. So how do you handle the successes and the failures, right? Because it's hard to have sustained, sustained success. You usually have to go through some ups and downs, some peaks and some valleys. How do you t try to navigate those? So we have what's called neuroplasticity in the brain. Humans do. We neuroplasticity allows us to train new neural pathways. We can create that. So whatever I want to do, I can train a person through scripts. So in other words, I can create new neural pathways for them that will give them experience. You know, you talk right. about the experience, right? I can, you know, major league baseball pitcher, we can have him do a script and a visualization. So when he steps out on the mound, his brain, not his mind, those are two different things. His brain will think he's thrown over 2000 pitches because that's what he's visualized. And that's what he's done in a technique called SIT, stress inoculation technique. So it's really cool. We have a methodology that can create new neural pathways and that's called neurogenesis. And then the brain will prune away what we no longer use, those old pathways mm -hmm. that we no longer use. So it's almost like doing, you know, a brain transplant without doing it. We're, we're able to do that really in a scientific way. So the future is so bright for helping athletes, any performers out there in the world that want to be their best, because we have found a methodology that it's all research and evidence based of help people being their best version of their self. And it starts from the neck up. Yeah. It sounds like writing code, you know, <laughs> yeah. for the brain. And it's yeah. crazy where you realize how much depth there is, you know, as a human and you've worked with some high level athletes, right? You mentioned some, some big level executives, whether it's in the sports world or not, what have you noticed about whether it's DeMarcus Ware or Tom Brady or some of these people that you've been in around? What, what sets them apart? Is it their ability to interpret information? Is it their ability to rely and lean on that information? Like what are the, the differentiating marks with some of these guys? You know, this is going to sound oversimplistic and I don't like that. I always like to delve into the science, their work ethic. That's the one thing that has stood out for me for everybody. And I know that's not a sexy answer, but I'm going to tell you something. When I was around Peyton Manning, I was really astonished how hard in his 16th year, 17th year, how hard he worked. He stayed after practice. He, you know, he went above and beyond um, than what he was required to do. Um, DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller, they would stay after practice and do hand placement with each other. It wasn't required. You know, they would just sit there for 15 minutes and work with their hands with each other. Just again, trying to get an edge. So on Sunday afternoon that they would be able to rush the passer that much more effective. That's the main thing I see in Olympic athletes. The same thing, the work ethic, the drive that they have. You know, we always talk about talent so much. We talk about talent, especially in pro sports. But I'm telling you, it's drive and it's work ethic. And when you have that and talent, then that's that's really the winning formula. But that's the number one thing I would say. And, and the work ethic is not just physical. It's in this. You know, here's a, here's a name for you, Brock Osweiler. So, you know, people forget in 2015, Peyton was out s seven games. He went five and two right. in those games he was out. Beat the Patriots. And, you know, I gave a notebook like this one here to Brock to study when we were doing our work. And every time he came into me, he had new notes. He had new highlights. He had done more stuff. And then later on, he went on, you know, after the Texans, he went to the Cleveland Browns and the Miami Dolphins. And every place he went, he would teach other quarterbacks the stuff that we taught. 
So those are the people and his career didn't pan out necessarily. It was, you know, in my opinion, I think he got stereotyped into a certain type of quarterback, but he was a student of the game and people that I see that perform at the highest level, they have that work ethic. They have that drive. Um, and that's, again, not a sexy answer, but it's really the truth. Well, but also not everybody has that, right? Like people act out of inspiration oh, right. or desperation, yeah. right? And, and some people understand how to kind of toe that line. And, and, and really it comes down to if you want change, you'll make it happen. Right. right. And it's using tools that you're able to provide to change people's lives emotionally, physically, uh, whatever it might be as well. And it, it's interesting because, you know, for where we started the conversation, it, this was what we were doing, what we're doing right now would not have been a conversation 15 or 20 years ago. Right. And it's very much becoming the norm in the mainstream. And it's ultimately with the goal of let's all try to become the best version of ourselves. And just imagine what's going to be in the next 15 years, the right. next 20 years. You know, one of the techniques we have that I wanted to share today real quick is we have what's called solution based therapies. Yes. And it's really cool because it's it's focuses on present to future, present to future. So if you tell a quarterback, let's say that's throwing picks and you focus on what he's done in the past, his brain's going to stay there, stays in that pathology. But if you focus on present to future, okay, all we're going to work about, talk about a solution. And we tell the whole room, I've told, we've told this to football teams. If it's not solution-based, we're not talking about it. So don't even bring it up. If it's not solution-based, we're not even going to talk about it. And man, does that clean up the mess really quick. Right. One time I remember it was with the Cleveland Browns. These players wanted to talk about a fight that happened the day before in practice. And coach says, is it solution-based? If it is, let's talk about it. But if it's not, we're not talking about it. And the players were like, well, he said, is it solution-based? Well, no, he said that I, is it solution-based? No, we're not talking about it. We're talking about solution-based. If you have something that's going to help you bridge the gap with you and the kid that got in a fight yesterday, we'll talk about it. But if it's not solution-based, we're not going to do it. It sounds overly simplistic, but it's so effective. And it's something we're using now. In, in professional coaching and therapies that's being really effective, not only with athletes, but everyday people. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. So go check out Dr. P over at Think One. Before we get out of here, my friend, obviously, I want to thank you for the conversation, Absolutely. for the insight. As a young man myself, it's always just nice to see people like yourself that are help pushing this next generation forward and helping us yes. become the best version of ourselves. Anything you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? No, I just, I enjoyed this. I love the energy. I love the passion. I just want people to always remember that you have a choice every day. There's what we call the 1090 rule. 10% of life is what happens. 90% how you react to it. You have 90% control. Remember that when you're fighting all those bad thoughts, negative thoughts are visitors. They're not here for long. They're just visitors. Words of wisdom from Dr. P. That's going to do it for us on another installment of Wellness Wednesday right here on My Ally Sports. For Sandy Clough, who I'm filling in for, I'm Anilo Piro. Dr. P, appreciate you as always. Right on, brother. Back at it again next week.